0: Father, as we settle our hearts, we'd ask that you would be the settler, that you would come in and take up residence, teach and guide us, and then ultimately, Lord, use us for your purposes. Help us to be focused on you and your kingdom, not worry about this life or receiving praises from men and women. We ask that you would help us to be singularly focused in this endeavor. Help us not to get sidetracked, for we know the inheritance that awaits us. So as we gather together today, we'd ask that you would teach, guide us, bless the fellowship, and enrich us for the purposes of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we were talking about fasting and this idea of storing up treasure for ourselves in heaven and works that are done in secret will be rewarded by the Lord and those works done in secret and also the ones that are done where people can see them outwardly because good works cannot be hidden. The Lord says that we will get crowns, the crown of righteousness, the incorruptible crown, the crown of life, the crown of glory, and the crown of rejoicing. And I went over all of those last week. And he also said that we can get a great reward if we endure suffering, unjust persecution, even to the point of being martyred or losing our lives for Christ now the jews were concerned about doing right because they thought god would extend towards them some merit and then they would win entrance into the kingdom And they were particularly focused on giving, praying, and fasting, those three things. And so they did them before men. They thought this would be pleasing to God, and they had completely missed the purpose of the temple. The purpose of the temple was to atone for sin, and they thought they could build up this righteousness, and they couldn't. Our righteousness, in the Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same. God imputes his righteousness to us. When we confess our sins, when we ask him to be our Lord and Savior, he looks at us and he says, you all are righteous because you have done that. You are declared to be in right standing with God. Therefore, God will take us to be with him in eternal fellowship. And so they thought, these Jews, thought that by doing good, it would merit salvation And there are Jews today that believe the same thing. That's why they pray three times a day. If you go to Israel in Jerusalem there to the Western Wall, three times a day they show up. And also if you ask a Jew, uh, how do you atone for your sins? They have switched it since there is no temple and they say, well, you know, through almsgiving, we try to outweigh the sins by doing good works. And so we, we give money, we pray, we fast. And it's the same thing today that the Jews are looking at. And they had gotten it wrong. And Jesus goes on to say that when you do these works before men, you will surely have re- your reward. So in this life, they will have the reward for doing good works, but they have no reward in heaven. If you recall, Jesus says, If you do your works before men to be seen by them, you have your reward. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 19 that we covered last time, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so not only was he talking about the physical, but he was talking about the pride and the arrogance and getting the reward for doing good works and making us feel good for all of those things. So God says, don't focus on that. Focus on doing what you need to do for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of jesus christ and he did not want anyone to focus on the material possessions if we do what is right god will bless us and give us what we need in matthew 6 33 that we will get here he tells us to seek the kingdom of god first And these things, which we will mention, will be added unto you. You won't have to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. All of those things he provides for us. And so he tells us as believers, take our focus away from the world. Now, some people say, oh, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. I don't believe in that at all. If you are heavenly minded, you are minded on the proper things. And everything else is secondary. Not that we neglect our responsibility. We're supposed to be good stewards. God has given us a trust over a family, over a job, over a business. And he wants us to be good stewards over that because everything that we have, God has given to us. And when we recognize that, he goes, well done. And when we have all those possessions, if God tells us to do something with them, then we do it. And we are under the submission of the Holy Spirit in that case. Now we can store up for ourselves treasures on this earth. And there was an even article yesterday and today that was there that more money does make you happier. And they did this survey out there and they were finding out that if you have a little more money, you're happy that you have the yacht, that you have the cars, that you have the influence and the world just looks at that and says, yeah, that's all we need. We just need more of that. Kind of like, you guys remember the name McSkillet? McSkillet was an eighteen-year-old, had nine hundred thousand followers on the internet. He had so much money that he could buy the McLaren that's worth two hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Apparently, I am told now. I don't know this for sure, but he lost all kinds of money. Therefore, he intended to commit suicide by going on eight oh five the wrong way at La Jolla Village Drive. I don't know if he did that because he wanted to commit suicide, but he not only took his life, but he took the life of a 43-year-old mom and her 12-year-old daughter. And he had everything, but he lost it. He was trusting in his riches, and his joy went with his riches. And I think we're supposed to have a light touch on the riches that we possess. And if we do, if we lose it, we just say, Oh, well, what's next, Lord? We don't get down in the doldrums. We don't get to a point where we're depressed and commit suicide, things like that. This world is passing away. We won't take anything with us. So God tells us not to store it for ourselves, treasures on this earth. And he will provide for us exactly what we need and when we need it. And then he goes on. And by the way, he, three time, or twice he mentions the words treasures in Matthew 6.19 and also Matthew 6.21. In verse 24, he mentions mammon or money. Mammon is the Aramaic word for money. And then in 25 through the end of the chapter there, four times he mentions the word worry. Don't worry. So you have treasure, money, don't worry. Right in the middle of that, he throws in this phrase, and it seems like it's a non sequitur. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, verse 22, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole tr- your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And you read that and you go, what? In the world, is he talking about here? He starts with treasure. He goes on with money. He talks about not worrying. And then he's talking about the eye and the lamp. Now, is he talking about your eye? He's not. This is a metaphor. And you're supposed to recognize that. All of us are supposed to recognize that. When we look at this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Do you come in here having these little clay lamps in your eyeballs and they just are kind of lit everywhere. Well, obviously, it's not reality. So obviously, it's a metaphor. It's like we call Jesus Christ the rock. Well, that's a metaphor. He isn't a rock. He isn't a stone. He isn't made of blue granite. He is solid. And so we're supposed to take these metaphors and find out exactly what they mean. Now, in the context here, it's dealing with treasures, money, and worry. Well, what does he mean by this? And the eye, if you look at it through scripture, it's usually the spiritual understanding or the mind. So you have this light, the mind that is there. And in the context of treasure, money and worry, why does he talk about the eye and the light and the darkness and if we fail to understand the lord's point about the treasures money and the worry we're going to do ourselves a disservice now i will go on to answer this why he uses this little metaphoric statement here but going on in verse 24 no one can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money which means, or what he's saying is, there are those that focus their whole lives on making money. And the money is the pursuit, money is their God. From the time that they wake up in the morning, they are either looking at the stock market, they're on their phone, they're trying to round up the next deal, they're doing whatever they can, and money is the focus. Now for we who are believers, the focus is always supposed to be on relationship. Our relationship with God, and our relationship with Each other. Have you noticed, uh, and I've noticed this too, even at family gatherings, the tendency is if you're sitting around a table or you're all in the same room and some are on the couch and some are watching television, everybody has their phone and they're looking at their phone. And they're going through their phone and then they're either listening to the television out of their other ear and they're, they're just watching their phone and that's the focus and what's next on here and if, is it social media? Is it news? And I like to peruse the news and so I'm, I'm going through this and I know I just have to set that thing down. I have to be in relationship with those who are around me in my immediate vicinity and put that thing down. I was thinking about this yesterday and today. What did we do? Before there were phones. <laughs> Did you ever go into your parents and say, I'm bored? <laughs> I remember doing that. My parents should have told me, no, you're not bored. You're boring. There's so much to do out there. If you're not doing it, you're just being boring. There's, you could do anything you want to. And so as kids, back in the day, we would ride our bikes. We'd ride our bikes for miles. We had to leave the house and not come back for hours. And I remember my mom saying, with me and my four, three brothers, say, just be home for dinner. You could be gone all day. We'd ride down. I lived in Chula Vista. We'd ride to downtown Chula Vista and just check things out like what in my little stingray with my gear shift and my banana seat and my handles that were up there and it was black and all oh, the sparkles on the seat it was just, it was great it was wonderful to do that that's what we did back then or we'd go to the canyon and we'd dig holes and we'd find treasures and things like that we'd actually get out and we'd do it with our friends is what we'd do you actually interacted with the people around you and then there was television And then you started sitting in front of the television, especially Saturday morning cartoons. If you were young, we used to watch all those Roadrunner. And by the way, you can't watch Roadrunner anymore. It's a little too aggressive and there's too much anger in there and kids might be affected. Johnny Quest and all of those, we'd watch those cartoons. It would just be great. But the rest of the time, we either did chores, we worked, we interacted with our parents, our siblings, our friends, and we showed up. And God says, that's the most important thing. Not the tech that we have today, not being on the internet, not getting all this knowledge for what purpose? You want to have it for the purposes of relationships. So God wants us to get away from the idea of riches and wealth and making the next deal and interact with one another. Verse 25 starts telling us about worrying about making the next buck because if we make the next buck, then I will be able to pay my exorbitant water bill or my SDG&E bill that comes and I will be able to stay in my house and I have to worry about staying in my house and what will I wear and what will I eat and I have to start buying food in bulk because I don't have enough money to cover the expenses of the house. And we worry about those things. And God provides for us exactly what we need. Therefore, I tell you, verse 25, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For pagans or unbelievers run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, in this one, you need to underline, highlight, arrows going to it, flashes, you know, whatever you want to do. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself Each day has enough trouble all its own. Amen to that. If you start worrying about, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next day? And I'm so worried that I'm not going to have enough. We're supposed to just relax. And the Lord will send us through times of trusting where we have to trust him. You know, being a business owner. And those of you who are business owners, have you ever run across the problem where you don't have payroll on Friday? And you have to pay your employees? And you go, Lord, I need some money. I got to where I was doing that. Lord, I need some money. This is not my problem. This is your problem. And the money would show up. A check would come, and he would always provide. You know, it was just great to be able to trust God like that. But he would bring us, my wife and I, in our business, right up to the edge. The money wouldn't be there. And all of a sudden, the money's there. Should have known You know, the Lord takes care of us. We don't have to worry about that stuff if we're being good stewards. And so primarily, we're to be concerned about seeking the kingdom of God. God promises to take care of the needs of the body and of life. We are not to worry. Worry about anything. Verse 22, I want to focus on this one again, go back to it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this is in the context of the full Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus saw the crowds. His disciples came to them, him, and he began to teach them, saying, and he had all those blesseds in there, right? In the context of all of that, If we fail to understand Jesus' teaching on persecution for righteousness sake, if we fail to understand that we are the salt of the earth, that we are a city set on the hill, if we fail to understand the unrighteous anger is murder, if we fail to understand that divorce and remarriage is adultery, if we fail to understand giving, praying, and fasting the works, are not to be done in an ostentatious fashion. If we fail to understand that seeking the kingdom of God is to be our primary pursuit, we are walking in darkness. Our understanding, the light, the eye, the lamp, having that spiritual understanding, what we are supposed to be doing, if we're not doing that, if we fail to understand it, we're walking around in darkness. That's what he's talking about. And it's a great error. And he said, if you don't have that light, boy, great is that darkness. And so we're supposed to strive for the kingdom, not for this life. And most of the time, we are focused on this life. We just don't want it to rule us. Like the money, like the phone, like the business, like the pursuits, like the McLaren automobile, which is out there. All that stuff, uh, the phrase used to be, very common, rust, dust, and bust, crack, chip, and peel. I mean, that's the way things are. You know, I'm, I'm doing some chores around my house, fixing things and doing things around my house. It's the third time in 30 years I'm going to have to go through the whole house again. It needs paint, you know, baseboards, flooring. Y- you got to go through and do the whole thing. Why? Because I want to be a good steward. But if I make it my God, it's... The Butker house, you know, and I put gold leaf on it and all. No, it's just, it's where I reside. I know that one day I'm doing this for someone else. I'm not even going to keep it. I'm going to die. Hopefully the family gets it. And then eventually they'll sell it or something will go on. And it's going to go to somebody else. And I know I'm really not doing it for me. I'm just being a good steward. And so I want to have a light touch, whether it's on the house, whether it's on the money whether it's on the business and focus on the relationships. Put the money down, put the business to the side, and actually spend time with people and with God. We don't want to be walking around in darkness. Now, going to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and beyond, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. You ever heard the phrase, Don't judge me, man? This is what it's talking about here. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now again, this is metaphorical language if you work with wood and jesus was a carpenter he would often get specks in his eye you know you're sawing something vuba vuba and all of a sudden the dust flies up it gets in your eye and you go i got sawdust in my eye and you move your eye around and you try to get this thing and somebody comes along and says hey let me help you get that speck out of your eye you know you got this little problem going on in that speck is indicative of a problem that might be in your life, some error that is there, and it needs to be removed. And the person comes up and says, you got this error in your life, let me help you remove it. And the whole time, they don't even have a glare, a glaring error. Their whole life is an error. And that's, this is the use of what is known as hyperbole. Hyperbole is where you take a little speck of sawdust in comparison to the entire beam that goes across now, for instance, right behind me here, up above this wood that 's right there behind that plaster, is a beam. This used to be down to about six foot or so. We took out the block and we stuck this beam up there, and it 's a big beam. Remember that buzz? We stuck that thing up there, and it 's holding up this section of the building, and it was massive now. That's what Jesus is saying. Take the beam out of your own eye before you go to somebody else and take the speck out of their eye. And what he's talking about is this hypocrite. The people in theater back at this time, they would put a mask on. Have you ever seen those theatrical masks? One's a smiley face and one's a frown. You'd put that mask on and you would act. Jesus doesn't want us to act. He doesn't want us to be the hypocrite in the play. And that's what they understood it to be back then. They'd put on these masks. He'd say, take off the mask, get rid of your own beam before you look to somebody else to take out their speck of sawdust. And so that's one principle that is in here is focus on yourself, get rid of the problem before you decide to judge somebody else for their little speck. Now, is he saying, do not judge? well in the first verse he says do not judge but in the second verse he says for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use it'll be measured to you do we make judgments all the time we make judgments should i turn into this lane right now or should i wait for that other car to go by do i want to slow him down as he's speeding up Uh, Do I not want to? We make judgments like that. Do I want to say this particular thing to somebody and they may not like it and it may cause them a little bit of discomfort, but I'm gonna say it anyhow. Do you say it or do you keep your mouth shut? Do you open your mouth and be thought a fool or be known to be a fool or do you keep the mouth shut and only be thought a fool? You know, these types of things, we make decisions, we make judgments all the time. Do I eat some donuts after service? Or do I withhold the donut intake after service? Well, let's see. How hard do I want to work at the gym this next week? And if I indulge, do I have... We're making judgments all the time. I mean, every minute of the day, we are making judgments. When you leave here, and you're going to think of this when you leave, is it time for me to leave? Did I say hi to everybody? Do I want to say hi to everybody? Maybe I just want to leave. You're going to make a judgment, right? And so he's not saying... Don't make judgments. He's saying, make a good judgment. Make a right judgment. And I want to focus on this for a minute. A judgment that renders condemnation and a judgment that is meant to discriminate are two different things. When we go to somebody and we render a judgment, we accuse them of something, we say, you are in error here. We can do it for one of two reasons. We can say, you're condemned, you filthy, rotten sinner. If somebody says that to you, say, I know. Just agree with them, say, I know I am. And I'm only saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Or there's another way to make a judgment. And if you want to talk to somebody, it's meant to discriminate something in their life, to separate it so that they recognize it. It's constructive criticism. And we all hate constructive criticism. What do you mean I'm doing it wrong? I'm doing it just fine. Thank you very much. And we get all defensive. We need to practice receiving criticism. And again, none of us like it because it appeals or it damages our pride. If we have no pride, okay, hit me with your best shot. I think there was a song like that. You know, if somebody wants to bring the criticism to you, wow. Hit me with your best shot. And not in the arrogant way like, fine, you're not going to touch me. I have Teflon all over my soul. So bring it on, you know, that, that type of thing. We want the criticism to come to help us. But there is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, there's a time to speak and a time to remain silent. And the Lord wants us to be discerning when we speak and when we withhold our speech. So when is it okay to judge? And by the way, before I get into this, I have several points. When a judgment is made, it is the focus of a particular behavior that needs to change. That's why we are like iron, sharpening iron. A sword clashes with a sword. There is change that takes place that usually happens inside of a marriage or a a close friendship. And remember that grace is the rule, mercy and abundance, and there is no condemnation. If we're delivering a judgment or a criticism to somebody... It needs to be for their benefit, and we certainly need to pray about it, how we say it, what we say, when to say it. All of those things are very important. And those who are guilty and will not judge, or I should say that most of the people that you point out errors to like that, like it's affecting everybody so they have to say something, most of the people, it's been my experience in almost 30 years of ministry, Most of the people don't change. Most of the people hear it and they bring a criticism back on the person that brought a little bit of a judgment or an inspection or a a helpful or constructive criticism to them. They usually just reject it. They give an excuse why they're doing what they're doing. And it's justified in their minds. We don't want to be like that. If somebody brings to us some constructive criticism, we don't want to attack the messenger and there's a way to receive that too and i will get to that at the end of my points here so when is it okay to judge it's okay to judge ourselves and god asks us to for instance we are to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are actually in the faith we are to test ourselves that's what second corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, what kind of test would this be? Would you show up to church? We have a test to see if you're saved. I want you to take this with a pencil, sit down, fill it out, and we'll judge for you if you're saved or not. Well, we're supposed to do that to ourselves. We're supposed to examine ourselves. Take a test for ourselves. Do I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do I love my neighbor as myself because all Ten Commandments are wrapped up in those two? Do I love my enemies? Do I bless those who persecute me, who despitefully use me? Do I do those things? Do I give or lend freely without asking for something to be repaid back? Do I curse people out as I'm driving down the roadway because the dumb people don't know how to drive? Where did they get their license anyhow? Kmart? Did they go to the DMV? Well, you don't want to go to the DMV because then you'll start criticizing the DMV and the long lines that are at the DMV. I mean, just it's just a terrible thing that we can focus on everybody else, but not ourselves. We need to focus on ourselves. And what kind of test is there? I just gave you the test that you can go through. Are you really living your life for Christ, or are you focusing on getting money and treasure and storing it up for yourselves here on earth, not paying attention to the relationships that are here, both horizontal and also vertical with the Lord Jesus Christ? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats and drinks of the bread and the cup. And he is talking about communion here. When a person would take communion back in the church of Corinth, some people had actually died because they were not judging themselves. Whether or not they were in the faith, whether or not their motives were pure, and God judged them and took them out. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in First Corinthians chapter 5? They sold a piece of property. They held back part of the money. They lied to the apostles saying, we sold it for this much. And they said, that's it. You're done. Out of the pool. And they died right there. And they took out both Ananias and Sapphira because they lied God judged people right then to kind of set the church in the right direction. We're to judge ourselves. Are we telling lies? Are we not telling lies like Ananias and Sapphira? Are we always speaking the truth? And that's what we're supposed to do. So it's okay to judge ourselves. It's also okay to judge and settle disputes among Christians. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a dispute between Christians. Have you? Have you? No, we just say, I'm not dealing with them anymore. I'm leaving, or I'm not, I'm not talking to them anymore. So the dispute, it, it may have happened, but it's just gone away. It's not dealt with the biblical way. The biblical way we're supposed to get the people together, talk, and we're supposed to judge these things between two individuals. But who wants to do that? Who wants to get together and say, well, you did this. No, you did this, and have somebody adjudicate that. Oh, that's terrible, because you know what happens. You know, God says there must be differences or disagreements among us. Do you know why Scripture says that? To show which of us has God's approval, which means more than likely somebody's not going to have God's approval, which does a terrible thing to the pride, and we don't like that. Therefore, we don't pursue talking with somebody and helping them to do better, and that's what we're supposed to do as believers. We're supposed to be in fellowship, tight fellowship where we know each other, where we hang out, we have a conversation. We kind of know well, who are your kids, who are your grandkids, what's going on in your life. That's what we're supposed to do. And we can adjudicate these matters between two individuals. It says in First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and this is talking about taking an unbeliever to court. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? And he says this to the shame of those in Corinth, that we can adjudicate differences between believers. If somebody feels he has been taken advantage of by someone else, we can step in as believers and say, let me help you with this. Let me kind of get to the equity of the situation. What works out both for the best? What is right in the eyes of God? And we can do that. So we can judge ourselves. It's okay to judge and settle disputes among Christians. And it's okay to judge unrepentant sins among believers. Have you ever heard somebody say, I feel like I'm being judged? Have you ever felt somebody say, I feel like I'm being condemned? When somebody has an issue brought to them, if there is an error that they don't want to give up, they're going to feel condemned and they're not going to want to listen. They're going to feel judged even though scripture may clearly say, do not do this. If you go to the individual and you say, it says clearly right here and you give the scriptures, do not do this. Like do not steal. Well, I need it to survive. No, that's not the way we're supposed to handle it. We're supposed to make sure we're following the following the precepts of the Lord. And, and then if somebody says, well, I'm just going to do it anyhow, I don't care. That's where you judge unrepentant sins. And when you look at Scripture, how Scripture deals with that, I stand back and I go, oh, that is tough. That is hard. If you find somebody who is involved in a sin and they won't repent of that, you know, Scripture says... With such a man do not even eat. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Somebody who is involved in immorality. Like, for instance, if there is a, a couple living together, and you go to the couple, and we've had that several times, where you talk to the couple and say, you know, that's, let's make this right. And by the way, I don't come in with the biggest Bible I can find. I have a big family Bible at home. It's about that thick, and it's about that big. I don't bring that and slap somebody upside the head saying, you filthy rotten sinner you need to repent of this sin although that may be true they're a filthy rotten sinner and they need to repent of the sin i don't go to them in such a way because remember the stick with the measuring stick that i use to judge others i'm going to be judged with so i don't take out my silly stick and beat them upside the head with it i go to them the way i'd want somebody to come to me you know We all sin against the Lord, and we need to probably work on this and change this. Let me help you do this. Let me help you change this. It it tells us in the book of Galatians that those who are caught in a sin, we're supposed to help restore them. We're not supposed to come to them and just beat them upside the head. And so if we do that in such a way that God is pleased with it, they may accept it. They may not. As I said, being so many years in ministry, most people reject the counsel. I wish it wasn't the case. I have even done that in the past. No, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. It's like, no, don't let my pride get in the way. Submit to the Lord. And this is hard. So we can judge unrepentant sins among believers also. And by the way, it gives a list of sins that we can judge. It says uh, a fornicator, one who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse, those who are covetous, an idolater, a railer. A railer is one who speaks bitterly or reproachfully. Uh, They complain violently. Like, I can't believe they only have regular coffee and not decaf coffee. What kind of churches? You know, just something like that. You get the idea. They're just upset at the world. And we can judge those kinds of things or the drunkard or the extortioner all these sins that are listed in First Corinthians chapter 5, we are free to judge those. And we're to judge those inside the church, not outside the church. If we go to those outside the church, if pro- somebody is having an illicit lifestyle, maybe they're uh, in the gay lifestyle, or maybe they're into the drug culture, which is out there, all of those things, if they're in the world, we're not supposed to judge them. Scripture is clear about that. And we do that as Christians. We, we judge them as non-Christians. And we're not supposed to. We're supposed to judge ourselves inside the church. And I'm telling you, that is tough. That is hard, especially if, quote-unquote, the spiritual hammer comes down and says, man, I've got to break fellowship with you. You won't repent of the sin. And there is a difference between that individual and the individual who is caught. The individual is caught in a sin, yeah, we make judgments, but we help them. We help them all that we can. But the person who says defiantly, no, I don't care what it says. I'm just going to do this. That's where God says, do not even eat with them. That means you break all fellowship until there is restoration, until they admit the sin that is there. It's okay to judge the things in light of biblical truth. Like, for instance, doctrine. No, that's a wrong doctrine. What do you mean it's a wrong doctrine? I believe this. It says it in scripture. You know, when it comes to eschatology, they're inside the church. Now, this doesn't bring condemnation, but eschatology, which we'll get to in Matthew chapter 24 and and in the gospel of Luke and Ma- and Mark, it's all there. And there are some exciting things going on. I'm telling you, the, the things that are coming down the pike, where we're being led to, and I think it's a spiritual battle, it is just. Awesome, fearful, awesome. And when it comes to adjudicating things or or judging things as far as the doctrine is concerned, like the misuse of spiritual gifts or uh, the misuse of a pulpit ministry to get rich, that some people think that godliness is a means to financial gain and, and judging that and saying, no, this is wrong. You can judge things in light of Scripture. We can do that, and we're supposed to do that. And in light of Scripture, we're going to be making judgments about those who we know that are believers as well. And just keep that in mind. If you know your Bible, you can make a proper judgment. But there are people who don't know their Bibles, and they're not able to make a proper judgment, and they do more damage than they do good. Uh, matter of fact, we're supposed to warn a divisive person. If somebody was coming in here, and we've had this before, they start sowing discord among the church about me or somebody else. I cannot tell you how many times in the past we've had people say, well, I don't like this particular teacher or I don't like the way that this person serves inside the church. They always have something to, and they just become judgmental and they start sowing discord and they, they wreak havoc and i'm supposed to judge that as a leader of the church i'm supposed to judge that and say hey you need to stop this if you don't like it here and i'll say it nicely go somewhere else no i i say it nicely you're free to fellowship wherever else you would like to but please don't fellowship here and then so discord you know scripture remember this one i've always loved the scripture although i've hated it to some degree There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, there are seven that are detestable. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill, and a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. The Lord hates that person. Now, I'm supposed to love my enemies, but... The Lord says he hates them. Now, some people say, see, that gives you the right to hate them. No, I'm supposed to love my enemy. I'm supposed to judge in a loving way those who are inside the church. But I'm not supposed to beat somebody over the head with a silly stick, a judgment stick. You get the picture of what we're doing here as far as judgment is concerned? And God calls us to account. And we're to keep this in mind 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. You see that patience is supposed to rule our hearts. And so we can judge doctrine. Now, when is it wrong to judge? It's wrong to judge when we have improper motives. For instance, <clears throat> I'll make judgments if somebody comes up to me and uses flattery. The scripture has a lot to say about flattery. Matter of fact, flattery will test us. If somebody comes up to you and says, you are just so wonderful. I have never heard somebody expand on the word of God just like you. I am taking this home. I'm writing it down in gold leaf. It is so good. And I tell Patty, I know. But you know, when it... But if it's anybody else, you know, if they're doing that, they, what are you after anyhow? What is it that you want? There is some hidden motive that is there and I need to be aware of that. And so if, if I'm making a judgment about them, maybe they have a hidden motive of some kind or they're criticizing me because they want to just drag me down they're making judgments and the judgments are not good and how do we deal with that if somebody comes to us and we know that they they just don't like us and they want to complain and they want to argue and all of those kinds of things you still receive the criticism you go thank you you're probably right and then we go home and we say lord are they right ask the lord to reveal it to you and This is where our relationship with God comes in; He will reveal it, and you might say, well, but i don 't hear god speak i 'll trust me it, sometimes we just don't listen, but God is always speaking and If we pay attention to what He has to say and the criticism that comes our way, if it 's not meant to light on us, if it 's not meant to rest on us, you 'll walk away with a peace which passes understanding and go that person 's just wrong they' are, they are just in error." Now, we want to make sure we judge it according to the scripture. But if there's something that needs to land, even the smallest criticism that's there, we want to take it to heart and say, well, you know, they're wrong on 90%, but this 10% I have to deal with. And that that's how you receive it from an individual who wants to criticize you with no good motive whatsoever. They might have a hypercritical spirit and We just want to make sure that they're not struggling for a position of power, that they're not putting down one person to raise up another or raise up themselves. They're not playing favorites, that type of thing. Also, it's wrong to judge when you draw a conclusion based on outward appearances only. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. John chapter 7, verse 24. Now, this is one area. For instance, if somebody goes out and commits a quote-unquote hate crime. You know, there's laws in the books for hate crimes that they're making judgments based on what they think is in your heart, not on what the actual circumstances are. I wish there were no laws that dealt with hate crimes. If somebody did a crime violence, prosecute them for the crime of violence and make it tough and make it enduring. But to ascribe motives to somebody, well, that's just wrong to do that. I know what the motive is. The motive is sin. The sin that somebody wants to be on top, so to speak, that they want to get something over on somebody else. But we certainly want to make sure that we are judging properly, that we are not condemning somebody before we hear the facts that we are not drawing a conclusion based on outward appearances only Uh, to give you a story about this Chuck Swindoll I remember this story from years ago he was up teaching and he was just on a roll and people were laughing and they were they were listening to what they he had to say and he said they were writing down notes and this was at a seminar and he was doing his best but there was this one guy in the front he just wouldn't stay awake He would fold his arms like this and he'd put his head down and you'd see him go like this every once in a while, put his head up. And Chuck Swindoll said he was gaining a sour attitude with this guy. Everybody else loved the message, but not this guy. And so he said he was judging this guy. Come to find out later, he was terminal and he was on medication. I think it was probably morphine. And he couldn't stay awake, but he just wanted to come here, Chuck Swindoll swindoll preach and so he made a judgment based on outward appearances but he didn't know what was going on in the life of the individual and we can create such error doing that so we don't want to judge when we draw a conclusion based on outward appearances we want to find out what's going on first when you condemn someone before you hear the facts we're not to judge in those cases john chapter 7 verse 51 does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? If somebody comes along and, and says to you, guess what? And your ear just grows about three times its size. And you go, what? And you want to hear what they have to say? Well, you know, and, and you give them this information. No, and, and you get in this little gossip fest and you eat those tiny tasty morsels that go down and it's just so satisfying. Ooh, I can't wait to tell so-and-so. And that just that's wrong too. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to make sure that we are not condemning somebody before we hear the facts. As I just repeated in John chapter 7, verse 51. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what's going on? And usually, you know the telephone game. You guys played that as a kid, right? You say something in a circle, and by the time it gets to the end, it gets really short and concise, and it's not even on the point of the, what the person said to begin with. Well, that's what we do, too, if we engage in that type of judgment. We are judging somebody before we hear the facts. And also, I, this is one, this is a life verse for me. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. The first to present his case seems right until another comes forward and questions him. I cannot tell you how many times I've listened to somebody in a pastoral care situation where I'm just going, really? That, yes, you just bet as soon as the sun comes up and you know it's there, this has happened as well. And then you find out it's not quite that way. And I make this error too. You know, we always want to make ourselves look better than we actually are. We want think, people to think that we are better than we actually are in our lives and so when we talk about ourselves guess how we talk about ourselves i'm so good of course it doesn't really come out like that but that's what we're saying i am so good and and the people are going oh i think maybe you're not but i know you're saying it and that's what somebody does when they come present their case first to you i am so good i'm so righteous in this i haven't done anything wrong i'm not narrow Well, maybe a little bit over here but everything else is just over the top with this other person and uh, that's why, like, marital counseling, you have to have both people there at the same time. Because if you even hear them separately, well, they're not able to defend what is being said. So the first to come forward, present their case, seems right until another comes forward and questions him. We're also not supposed to judge when we don't have two or three solid witnesses. Uh, scripture says we're not to entertain an accusation against an elder unless there are two or three witnesses. I hold that for everybody. If somebody comes and tells me something and I, it maybe sounds legit first i don't pay any attention to it i just pack it away if another person comes to me and says yeah this is going on I go two reliable witnesses i go okay well maybe i need to check into this but prior to that i'm not making any judgments and even after i hear the two i'm still not making any judgments Because the perception of what has taken place maybe is completely skewed or maybe it's one person or it's second or third hand. And so we're not supposed to make judgments in that fashion. Then, we're not to judge when you determine someone's spirituality based on their liturgy. And what I mean by that is, it's what the Jews did. They gave in such a way in an ostentatious fashion so that people would think that they were great. Well, you don't judge somebody by what they do as far as their liturgy is concerned. Well, look how spiritual they are. They're, they're praying, and they do that all the time. Well, And look, I see them giving, and they're, they're just doing it all the time, and they must be so spiritual. I, I know of this one guy decades ago. He had more Scripture memorized than were in, was in the Bible. I mean, that's how much... That's how much he had memorized. I, I, I would ask him, so, well, give me Proverbs chapter 3. Okay, no problem. And it, boom, he would just rattle off the whole thing. There was this poster in the church one that had all the names of God listed in the scripture on this poster. He memorized the poster. The guy was just like a walking Bible is what he was. But he was an extreme Alcoholic. I had to go up and I had to pull the key out of his van that had gone up in the curb and almost into the storefront. I said, you're not going anywhere. I actually got up in the window and pulled it out. He goes, no, give me the key back. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you the key back. We rolled the van back and let him just sleep it off, you know. And so even though he knew stuff and he was involved in church, he would show up and we'd have discussions and he seemed like he was very spiritual because of his liturgy, because of his practice inside the church. But the whole time he was having to deal with this. He was caught in the sin, actually. And so we need to make sure that we do not determine somebody's spirituality based on their liturgy or what they do inside church. We're also not supposed to judge. When we practice the same things. When we see the error in somebody else, we're not to judge them. Now, you could come alongside and say, you know, I suffer from the same thing. Can we both work on this? Okay, well, that's that's good. But you don't condemn somebody when you're doing the same thing. And so when we are being judged by somebody, we have to keep in mind if we belong to Christ... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You also want to consider the source. Is a person a reliable witness? Do you trust them? Are they saying this for your benefit? Do they have something to gain by tearing you down and judging you? You want to take all that into consideration. So the application of all this, certainly seek ye the kingdom of God first. We don't want to pursue the money, the riches, the treasure and avoid seeking after the kingdom of God, because he'll add all of that stuff to us. We'll have plenty to eat. We'll have clothes to wear. He'll provide for us shelter when we need it. And we are also to cease worrying about the things of life. We can't add a single inch to our stature. I've tried several times by worrying to add hair to my head, but I, I can't even do that. You know, so none of these things can improve our life by worrying and then judge properly make a proper judgment and we are to judge those inside the church not those outside the church and when we do we better be looking in the mirror first let's pray father i I thank you for your word it is so clear and concise help us to carry it with us help us not to be condemning for your word tells us we are not condemned if we are in you but lord help us to use wisdom wisdom as we walk in the ways the newness of life that you have called us to and we thank you for your mercy father we ask that you would forgive us of our sins where we have erred and help us to walk in a way that is fitting that is pleasing to you in jesus name